Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. You know, all throughout the Christmas story, you see a common phrase. An unusual phrase. Most of us, we, we kind of miss this piece of it, or if we miss it, we, we sanitize it a little bit. For example, Zechariah, when the angel came and visited him, said this phrase, we see it the first time in the Christmas story, do not be afraid. We see it again with Mary when she finds out that she's out of wedlock, she's going to Uh, have a child. Teenage pregnancy is probably one of the most scary things you could imagine in our life, let alone in that time. And the angel comes to Mary and he says the same phrase, do not be afraid. Of course, we know Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. He knows it's not his. So he's heartbroken. He's devastated, having nightmares of what his life is going to be like, losing the love of his life. And the angel says the same thing to Joseph. Do not be afraid. The shepherds are in the middle of the field. Suddenly the glory of God shows up. And when the glory of God appears, they are afraid. They're stunned. And the angel says the same thing. Do not be afraid. So apparently there was a crazy amount of fear during the Christmas story. And I want to kind of know how they did it. How did they handle this fear that was hitting their life? I mean, it was real fear that Mary experienced when she's looking at her life in a culture where when you get pregnant out of wedlock, they don't kick you out. They don't, you know, shun you. They, they kill you. Joseph finding out that the love of his life is pregnant with a child that's not his. That's some real fear. That's not... That's not Just a fictitious kind of fear. This isn't a fictitious story. These are real fears. But every single one of them, the angel said, fear not. So how, because I don't know about you, but I have some fears in my life. I know we live in a world that's full of fear. You can't turn on the news. You can't go on Twitter. You can't go anywhere where you're not experiencing the predictions of doom and gloom. There's fear all around us. And if they were able to not fear with what they were facing... And we could learn from that. Possibly we could maybe have some courage in some areas that we're currently facing. And so we see here in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, how they did it. It says, do not be afraid. I bring to you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. I bring to you good news and great joy. How do you fear not? How do you do it? The answer was joy is coming. And when joy comes, fear has to leave. Mary has real fear when she's looking at her life. Joseph is facing real heartbreak when he's looking at his life. The shepherds with the sudden change have real fear, but every single one of them were able to not live in fear. Why? Because When Jesus came, joy came, and when joy comes, fear has to go. 
You see, if fear is the dark room in which you develop your negatives, joy is what turns the light on. If fear comes knocking at the door of your house, joy is what locks the deadbolt and locks fear out. If fear is in the room and joy walks in, it pushes fear out of the room and slams the door behind it. The bigger joy gets, the smaller fear becomes. The greater joy gets, the smaller fear becomes. Every one of them had the same situation, the same circumstance, nothing that they were looking at changed, but yet their focus changed, and so their feelings changed. What they looked at, how they looked at it changed, and so their whole situation. You know, a lot of times it's much easier to change you than it is to try to change the world. A lot of times it's all kind of fear out there. You can't do anything about that, but you can do something about you. And they changed their focus and it changed their feelings. Every person had a situation that was filled with fear, but fear walked out because they allowed joy to walk in. They allowed joy to show up in their life. Sometimes it really is how you look at it. A girl brought a young man home that was just tatted out. And tattoos everywhere, you know, the, the tears going down the cheek, piercings everywhere. And he left and the mom's like, sweetie, I'm sorry, I, I'm not so sure this guy's for you. You know, I mean, he doesn't, doesn't look like what I thought that he should look like. And, and you know, you might want to, you know, think about this a little bit more. And the daughter is so upset. She says, mom, you don't know him like I know him. You, you're judging him by the outward appearance. You're judging him by the way he looks. But on the inside, you don't know him like I know him. As a matter of fact, you probably didn't know this, that he just finished serving 200 hours of community service. Sometimes it's how you look at things. So I want to give you a few thoughts. A few thoughts on joy. The Bible says that Mary conceives the child. She walks into the room with Elizabeth, who's six months pregnant with John, who becomes John the Baptist. And the second that they enter the same room, the Bible says that the child leaped for joy on the inside of Elizabeth's womb. So the first picture we see in the Christmas story of joy is joy is something that leaps. Of course, we know a child can't leap in the womb. It can kick in the womb. It can punch in the womb. It can move around in the womb, but it can't leap in the womb. So the image here is, is, is poetry. It's a metaphor. It's helping us trying to understand what joy is like. The psalmist said, my heart leaps for joy. Our heart can't leap for joy, but what it's saying is that joy in its truest form cannot be contained. The Bible calls it joy unspeakable. It's something you can't always articulate, but yet it's something that when it happens, you can't necessarily explain it, but yet it can't be contained. It has to be shared, expressed. It's contagious. And Elizabeth said the second that Jesus came into my life, the child leaped for joy on the inside of me. When Jesus was just at conception, his mere presence caused joy to be expressed by leaping. You see, joy is something that, that when it happens to you, 
It cannot be stopped. It cannot be pushed down. It cannot be pushed back. It cannot be pushed away. And so the angel said, I know that your situation looks fearful. I know it looks bleak. I know it looks dark. I know you're hurting, Joseph. I know you're afraid, Mary. But do not be afraid. Why? Because when Jesus comes, joy comes. And when joy comes, fear's got to go. That's really how it works. It's not necessarily that, that fear is absent as much as joy has a greater presence. It's not that fear wasn't still there. It's that as joy began to be the thing that was focused on, fear had to leave. So we know that joy is something that leaps. We know in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 6 that in severe suffering, the Bible says, joy was given, which denotes a gift, by the Holy Spirit. So joy also transcends circumstance. You can be in terrible, severe suffering, going through hardship, difficulty, and agony, facing incredible levels of pain in your life, and yet there can be joy. Not joy on the other side of it. The Bible says joy was given in the midst of severe suffering. It wasn't on the outskirts of it. It wasn't when I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. No, in the middle of the severe suffering, the Bible says that there was joy and it was given. That gift was there in the middle. I don't know what you're facing. Not only do we know joy leaps, but we also know joy does not show up when your circumstance changes. Joy can show up in the middle of whatever you're looking at, no matter how horrific it might be. In Psalms chapter 51 and verse 8, it says, let me hear joy, my bones have been crushed. Maybe you're here saying, my heart's not leaping. My heart is the opposite of that. It's hurting. It's broken. Like the psalmist, it makes sense that my bones are crushed. I'm feeling the weight of fear. I'm paralyzed, crippled, can't move because of the weight of some fearful thing that I'm dealing with or imagining or some suffering that's happening in my life. I feel what the psalmist is saying when he says that my bones are crushed. So, so what does he do? He, he says, I, I can't feel joy. So he says, let me hear joy. If you're here saying, I don't feel joy, I, I don't sense joy, my heart's not leaping for joy, I hear this God stuff, this Jesus stuff, but you have no idea what I, this is that, you know, that happy, clappy kind of stuff, but I'm a real person, I'm dealing with real stuff, I got real issues, I got real problems, I'm a, you know, this stuff works in church, but it don't work outside the church, I got some real things that, that are going on, I don't have joy, what do I do? Well, according to the psalmist, you sometimes have to say, let me hear joy. So if you don't have it, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you asked for it? Sometimes you have to ask for joy. I heard, heard someone say, sometimes if you don't know what else to pray, just say thank you. It's the greatest prayer you could ever pray. Just think, sometimes you just maybe need to say, I need some joy. God, I need some joy. Nothing joyful around me, nothing joyful going on, not a whole lot joyful that I'm looking at, but I'm here, my bones are crushed. Would you let me hear joy? Sometimes you have to ask for joy. A guy was swerving, driving erratically, got pulled over by the police. 
police officer says, listen, sir, you know why I pulled you over? He says, no. He says, you're driving erratic, swerving everywhere. He says, you're going to need to take a breathalyzer. He says, I can't take a breathalyzer. I have asthma, and if I breathe into a breathalyzer, I'm going to, you know, hyperventilate, and then you have to call 911. The ambulance will have to come. I have to go to the hospital. It'll be a big deal, and, you know, then I'm probably going to sue you, so it's probably probably not going to work to do that. And the officer says, no problem. Just get in the back of my car. We'll go to the station and we'll, we'll do a blood test. And he says, I'm sorry, officer, it can't happen. I'm a hemophiliac. If I go and you hit the needle, I'll bleed to death. So that's not going to work. And the officer, just frustrated, says, well, why don't you just get out and walk this white line? And the guy says, well, I, there's no way I could do that. He says, well, why not? He says, because I'm drunk. <laughs> it would have been a whole lot easier. Sir, are you drunk? Come on, sometimes you have to ask. You have to ask. Man, I don't have any joy. Have you asked? Have you said, God, my marriage is crushed. Emotionally, I'm crushed. In life, I feel so down. Have you asked for joy? Because if joy comes, fear goes. It doesn't have to change your circumstance. It, sometimes you just have to, in the middle of whatever it is, not wait for it to be over, just in the middle of it, say, can I hear some joy in the middle of the situation? Psalm 65 verse 8 says, the whole earth is filled with your awe and your wonders. Where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. Notice what the psalmist says, the whole earth, that's everywhere, wherever there's dawn and evening, That's at all times. There are songs of joy. So joy is available to everybody, everywhere, during every moment of every single day. The Greek word for joy is gift. So apparently, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you're up against, if you'll look around... Joy is a gift that you have to find and you have to unwrap. It's there, it's present, but you have to look for it. The psalmist said, the whole earth, wherever there's morning and whenever there's evening, at all times, for everybody, it doesn't matter where you're at, joy is available, it is a gift, it is there, you have to find it. Jesus was known for taking uh, different types of substances and rub it on people's eyes. And then when they would open their eyes, what they couldn't see before, they could see after. Sometimes you just have to say, man, God, I need you to touch my eyes. So first you can just say, let me hear joy, ask for it. But the second thing you can maybe do, if you feel like your heart's not leaping for joy, maybe you just need to be aware of it. Ask God to touch your eyes so you can see things differently, so you can maybe find the gift of joy and unwrap that gift in the middle of whatever you're facing. Sometimes you have to look for it. You have to look for it. You have to find it. Number three, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 through 4, it says we want you to experience what it is that we have, but for our joy to be complete, we have to write to you. I write this to you that my joy can be complete. So sometimes for my joy to be complete, I have to do something for someone else. So is it possible that I'm lacking joy 
because I'm so focused on what someone else should be doing for me, what someone else hasn't done for me, what someone else has done to me. And this is a really sad part about anybody that's here that if you're living that way, can I just help you? As long as you're waiting for them to do it or to stop doing it, then, then your future joy is in their hands. You put all the power in their hands. But you can take it back by just simply saying, I'm not going to look for you to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I'm going to encourage someone. I'm going to love someone. I'm going to lift someone. I'm going to do what I have to do for someone else. Because he said, in order for my joy to be complete, I have to do something for someone else. My joy to be complete. The word complete is the image of a vase or a bucket that has cracks in it. And it's continually emptying out because those cracks have not been properly mended. So whatever you pour into it, it empties out. It runs out. It leaks out. But the psalmist, or I'm sorry, there the, the writer John says, if I do something for you where joy is leaking out of my life, those cracks can be mended. And my joy can be complete. Jesus said it like this. This joy I give to you. That your joy might be full. If you're leaking joy. Having moments of joy. But they're unsustainable. Sometimes it comes down to. Have you done something for someone else? Are you serving someone else? Are you helping someone else? Are you just thinking about yourself? Trying to figure out how how you can take care of you. Or are you doing anything for someone else? I'll never forget one time I was, um, a lady came up and she was so mad about different things and she was focused on all these weird things. And I'm like, you know what? I can't really fix all that. But do you serve anywhere? Do you do any? No, I do. I do it my own way. Like, can you, this week, what did you do? Nothing. Well, last week, what'd you do? Nothing. But I do, I do. You just don't know. I'm like, why don't you do this? We have this outreach uh, that, we serve Covington, in Covington through a lot of home. Why don't you go down there and serve one day and just help them and love them and then come back next week and talk to me about it. And she never came back. She never showed back up. I didn't see her for months. And then finally one day, I thought she left. I thought she got mad at me. And I, she came, I said, hey, what was going on? She said, I did what you said. I went down to that Fairhaven place. And, and I'm like, well, why, why didn't you come back and tell me? She's like, because you were right. I was just so focused on me. I had to get focused on someone else. I had, to, I had to be doing something for someone else. Sometimes we're so focused on what it's going to cost us, how it's going to put us out, some, how it's going to, you know, I, for example, I, this is just, just kind of a side note. I probably shouldn't even talk about it, but I don't know if you know this, but when your airbag goes off in your car, it costs you $500. Do you know that? That's a lot of money, right? $500. And, you know, if you get in a wreck and your passenger airbag goes off, whether someone's in it or not, that cost you $500. Even though it wasn't, didn't help anybody, still cost you $500. And so there's that, I don't know if you've ever noticed, there's that little key thing in some cars and you can turn the passenger airbag off so if you get in a wreck, it doesn't go off, so you save $500. <laughs> well, I didn't know it. I saw it, but I didn't know what it was and somebody told me and so, you know, they explained to me how much it costs when an airbag goes off and I was like, oh, I didn't know that. And so all of a sudden, I started thinking about the people sometimes that, you know, ride with me. You know, and so, you know, I just decided I would just turn it off, you know, unless I really knew the person was important or something, you know. 
and I ended up getting in an accident and, you know, I had to call Sarah. I told her I was just fine. The airbag went off and so I'm good. But your mom's a little roughed up because <laughs> her airbag didn't work. Come on, joy can't be full if you're not looking out for other people. Sometimes for my joy to be complete, I have to do something for others. The purpose of Christmas, and I'm done, is to bring the past into the present. And central to Christ's coming was joy also. Joy also showed up. And when joy showed up, fear had to go. Christ didn't just come, Christ continues to come, and when He comes, it's the same thing to us as it was to them. Do not be afraid. How? How? Because joy has come. And when joy comes, fear has to go. Joy and fear can't share the same space. When fear's at the party and joy comes in, fear has to walk out the back door. Fear and joy can't hold hands. Fear and joy can't share the same bed. When joy comes, fear has to leave. Sometimes it really is what you look at it. All had fearful situations that changed to joy because they changed their focus, they changed their situation. Think about Mary. Let's look at her life. She's 14 years old. She's just conceived the child. And she has to go and tell her soon-to-be husband. And she's imagining what he's going to think, what he's going to say. And her worst fears come true. Joseph doesn't believe one word she's saying. He's out. He's gone. He leaves. And the fear of losing her fiancé, the fear of people finding out in a society where they would kill her, her parents, her family, the rejection, all of that fear, but she was able to reach down and feel that little embryo, the infinite one who become finite, the God of the universe that was reduced down to the size of an embryo. She was able to reach down and focus on joy and the fear of what Joseph did or what her parents would think or what someone in society would say, that had to leave because she focused on joy. Nine months pregnant, she has to go all the way from Nazareth now to Bethlehem. Nine months pregnant, she's full term. Any moment, water is going to break and she has to go on the back of a donkey for miles and miles. Any women in here that have been nine months pregnant, you know that that's not a journey you're going to look forward to. Come on, on the back of a donkey, nine months pregnant, that's messed up. And she's afraid. What happens if my water breaks in the middle of the journey and we're out in the middle of nowhere, no midwife, but she's able to look down and watch joy kick and punch. And because she finds joy, fear has to go. She goes to the inn. They're trying to find a sanitary place to have the child. They're trying to find a place that that is appropriate for this child, this, this son of God to be born. And they're rejected from the inn. They find no other place. So they go to a barn. And Mary, who was chosen, who God said, 
We chose you. You were chosen because when we looked at you, we knew you were the perfect person to carry the Son of God. And now here Mary is in a dirty, filthy, animal-filled barn. And in her mind, there's, this is no place for the Son of God to be born. I've failed God. I've, he's got to be disappointed. He, he surely wanted something more from my life. And here I am in this horrific situation. But eventually... The contractions ended. The child was born and she heard the cries of joy. And when she heard those cries of joy, fear had to go. She would hear that Herod had issued an order because he was disturbed by the idea that this was a king that was being born. That he had issued an order that all the children, uh, male children under the age of two, be killed. And she hears about it. And then she hears even more that he's put up wanted posters all over the nation and that he's looking specifically for Mary and Joseph. And now they're fugitives on the run, no clue who to trust, traveling at night, hiding behind rocks and trees on on different types of paths to try to escape. And there they are imagining what happens if we get caught, what's going to happen What are they going to do to us? Will they murder us or murder the child? And the fear of all of that. But she's able to look down and see joy in the eyes. And the fear of that had to go. Now she's in Egypt. Her and Joseph, refugees. In a country they don't have any family. They don't know anybody. And for two years they have to find a way to survive. And the fear of will we ever get to go back home? But in those two years, joy would take its first step and start walking around. And when joy walked in the room, fear had to walk out. Now you can fast forward 33 years. And a frightened mom is kneeling at a cross, looking up at her son dying. You know, the last thing on the mind of joy, the very last thought, the very last words of Jesus on the cross, take care of my mom, take care of her. And when she heard joy speak, the fear of what was happening to her son had to go. The Bible says that the whole earth went dark, that the earth began to tremble because fear believed it had the final say. Fear believed it had the final words. But three days went by. Joy gets back up. And joy announces that fear is never going to have the final say in anybody's life. They will allow it to enter. You can't kill joy. You can't crucify joy. You can't bury joy. Joy will come out of any grave. Joy will defeat any obstacle. You can beat it. You can crucify it. You can lie about it. You can come and attack it. But at the end of the day, joy will always get back up because joy, if you'll let it come into your life, whatever fear you're facing has to walk out. My prayer for you has been simple, that this holiday season, God would pour out buckets of joy on every family, buckets of joy on every relationship, buckets of joy on every person's life. Anybody use some more joy? Anybody want to maybe not let it leak out? Maybe you just need to say, man, I'm going to ask for it. Maybe you need to say, I just need to be aware of it. I've been looking at the wrong things. Maybe, maybe, maybe you just need to take a second and say, you know what? 
not just look for it, but maybe I need to do something for someone else for my joy to be complete. Amen. Anybody want some buckets of joy to be poured out on you? This is, this is, this is what I know. And I'm, I promise, I, I know I said I'm done, but I'm really done now. I'm really, really done. Just a 30 second prayer. Most of you in this room, you look, you're such good looking people. And I, be, I mean that you're like really great looking church. Probably because you have a really great looking pastor. And you flex, you know, I'm just playing or I'm just messing around. I was talking about Evan, by the way. He's so good looking, you know. Anyway. Most of you are good. Most of you, your life's set. You're in a comfortable place. You're in a secure place. You've made a lot of good decisions. And your life represents that. But there's always about 10% of the people in a room that your life is not in a good place. There's always people in a room like this that they, their life is truly, and you say, you're being dramatic. No, I'm not because I've done this for so long. I know who I'm talking to. I've done this so many times and a service ends and people leave. And for whatever reason, they don't understand that sometimes you have to change your focus to change your feeling. Fear all around your situation, but joy can come in fear has to go but you have to let it which means really believe it or not right now is a huge deal for you this moment's a big deal for some of you is a really big deal some of you that are here struggling with addiction and you've tried to beat it and you've tried to kick it and you've tried to get away from it and you just can't or you have briefly but you're so afraid that it's going to come back and get you and it's a life and death thing for you some of you have thoughts of ending your life this Christmas season. Have thoughts of it's not worth it. Be be- the world would be better. Life would be better. People would be better without me. Some of you are here and you're depressed or discouraged spiritually. You can't seem to get up. Every time you try to get up, you mess up. You run from God. You hide from God and you get cold towards God. And something happens somewhere. Somebody hurt you or offended you or disappointed you and you built walls up and now that wall because of what someone did now that wall is between you and God and today's a serious moment where fear is ruling your life but if you'll let joy come that fear has to go if you'll let joy get bigger fear will get smaller it may not eliminate it but if you'll focus on joy those feelings of fear can shrink In Jesus' name.